Hello, welcome to another episode of Silk and Steel podcast. Today, we will continue our coverage of the Hong Kong protest, which has been occupying the headlines for past several months. Okay, so there was a very grisly murder in 2018. A 19-year-old Hong Kong resident killed his pregnant girlfriend in Taiwan and returned to Hong Kong. And because there's no extradition treaty between Hong Kong and Taiwan, he cannot be brought back to Taiwan to stand trial for murder. And because he committed the crime outside of territory of Hong Kong, he cannot be prosecuted under Hong Kong law. Only because he used his girlfriend's credit card to purchase a cell phone, then the Hong Kong police were able to detain him for theft. But Hong Kong police cannot detain him on the charge of theft indefinitely. There's no extradition treaty between Taiwan and Hong Kong. This guy is basically scotch-free right now. And the victim's parents, the girl's parents in Hong Kong, they demanded you know, the Hong Kong government to find a way to bring the murderer to trial. And this was the drive for the extradition bill initially, right? Um, But after that, there's like a a scare campaign in the press, in the Hong Kong press about, oh my God, this this extradition bill is going to allow mainland government to extradite all the political dissenters, right? And and because, you know, Hong Kong and mainland is different. It's one country, two systems. So so a lot of things that are, like, banned in mainland, for, for example, Falun Gong, right, uh-huh. which is banned as a cult on mainland, they do operate in Hong Kong freely. So, uh, so there's the argument that, like, now mainlanders can grab whoever they don't like from Hong Kong and and send them to torture and detention, blah, blah, blah. And it get people really riled up because I think fundamentally there's still a deep unease. A lot of many Hong Kongers feels about mainland and mainland government. And, and this, uh, you know, the, also the media helped to play on people's fear. And I believe it's, it's done intentionally because you know, there are many members of the wealthy class in Hong Kong. They fear themselves maybe <laughs> the target of the extradition bill because of financial misdealings. Uh, because, you know, Hong Kong, you know, it's for decades, uh, places like Hong Kong, like Canada, are just safe havens for uh, Chinese criminals, especially people who committed financial crimes. You know, they... Um, all these crooks just, you know, as soon as they land in Hong Kong or, or Canada, right, they secure a, a, a residence permit. In Canada's case, Canada has this uh, investment uh, green card, right? You invest over, five, I think it's 500K uh, Canadian dollars, and you get you get a fast track to green card. And so all these, all these um, criminals, the crooks, they, they then can live a scotch-free life in places like Canada because Canada don't have an uh, extradition treaty with China, right? And and I think some of the wealthy in Hong Kong, you know, have the same concerns and they use the media who is under, 
under their control to fan these fears among the public. I mean, it's it's a quite easy job for them. Absolutely. Yeah, and there is an easy job for for them too because there's already a very a deep unease among the Hong Kongers about uh, the political future of their city. Uh, you know what what's going to happen to Hong Kong? I mean, the Hong Kong has been in kind of uh, in that kind of limbo since 1997, right? Because Deng Xiaoping has said there will be no change in Hong Kong for 50 years. So the cutoff is 2047. I mean, it's not, it's only like 28 years away. <laughs> and, and uh, uh, you know, and, 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 and together with that, I mean, there's some legitimate concerns and discontent among Hong Kongers and themselves, right? I mean, it's not like it just all these people just turning to crazy riot mobs for no reason. There are legitimate concerns, but as often happens, these legitimate concerns get hijacked and get manipulated and, and, and uh, for other purposes. And do you want to maybe take this time to talk about like some of these, uh, like just the background of you know, the Hong Kong's fear of China and kind of the, the, the deep alienation they feel from China? Yeah, so I, I did want to add something to your point about, like, you know, the businessmen, because usually Carrie Lam and what's called known as the pro-Beijing camp can always count on the support of the tycoons and, like, you know, the business elements of Hong Kong for their policies. And, and that support was tellingly absent for this extradition bill. You know, you had members of like the Hong Kong Federation of Trade Unions out on the street, like trying to talk to people about the extradition bill and support it. And that was it. So that's why it's those trade union representatives that were the most upset at Carrie Lam when she pulled a bill, like they were screaming at her, like, you know, what are you doing? You didn't tell us about this. We had people on the streets, like trying to like promote this bill and you just pulled it. But you know, that, that is where the only support really for this bill came from, from the business side that is traditionally backed like Carrie Lam and that pro-Beijing time. You know, it was absolutely absent this time. Um, and I think the reason why is exactly what you said. Uh, a, a lot of these, you know, business elements uh, have concerns about what this extradition bill could be used for, um, you know, and financial crimes uh, and things like that. So, yeah, that's, um, I think that's definitely like a big element of that. There were some lot of fun, shady dealings in Hong Kong. I mean, I know a little bit of it because I was in Guangzhou in, uh, in early July and I met with a person on mainland who had taken Elon Musk to court uh, because this is a mainland investor who basically he invested all these domain names mm -hmm. um, before people <laughs> thought of them. And one of the... Uh, domain name he registered in China was Tesla. He got <laughs> Tesla very early on, you know, before Elon Musk even had his company. So when Elon Musk was trying to expand his operation to China, he challenged Elon Musk to use that trademark because it's, he registered it in China first. And it became a lengthy legal battle between him and Elon Musk. And I, I met with him in Guangzhou, you know, he showed me around, he told me the story from his side. And, um, you know, you, people who are interested, they can also Google the story. Basically, the, the Chinese guy 
uh, fight with Elon Musk over Tesla trademark. He told me what he told me was um, the the Tesla Elon Musk wouldn't budge, so wouldn't agree to his demand, and then uh, instead they handed off uh, the case to uh, their Hong Kong proxy, and this Hong Kong proxy work his magical connections in the mainland, had him arrested, right? Had him detained. And and you no, know, he was really shocked because he, he felt he, he has committed no crime. But he was held uh for a long time without charge. And you know, in mainland under some some circumstances the police are allowed to hold people for a period of time without charge. And for him, that was just a pure intimidation uh, uh, tactic. This happened around 2013. I think it was like uh, around the time when Xi Jinping, I think, might be just taking over. It was during that transition period. So, um, I mean, it's it's shocking to me to hear that, you know, the, I mean, like kind of the deep corruption among in, in Chinese bureaucracy that, that the Chinese police will go go to bat for this foreign company, right? When I posted that story, a lot of people didn't understand it on Twitter. But uh-huh. when I think about it, it does make sense because one of the things Xi Jinping came to power was the anti-corruption campaign <laughs> in mainland. And, and so there was a lot of corruption on mainland, right? And, 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 and unfortunately, this guy got caught up in it. And in the end, he was kind of forced to come to agreement with Elon Musk to 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 settle uh, outside the court. And and but it was so shady that the the, the the tactic they employed, right? I mean, so so I can totally see why some people in Hong Kong would be afraid of this uh, extradition bill. <laughs> Just to provide a little context. Oh yeah. So, um, but you know, the main point is like their support which normally, like Harry Lam could have counted on, was not there. And um, that's, you know, probably also like a, one of the factors contributing to the feet of the bill. So what's interesting to me is that, like, the bill has been tabled or pulled, more or less. Uh, they want it completely withdrawn. And my understanding is that if you completely withdraw this bill, you can always just put up a new similar bill uh, to the legislators. Nothing stopping you from doing that. But if it's tabled, it's there, you know, then you can't put up a similar bill or something like that. You know, I'm not very familiar with the parliamentary details, but I see that demand, like, as purely symbolic, basically, right? Like, they just want uh, to repudiate the bill more so than she already has, right? Yes. They want they want him her to gravel, right? To, to beg for forgiveness, basically. And and, and, and then the other demand was for Carrie Lam to, to resign. And I think that's just unrealistic because, um, you know. And that one's not fine anymore. So they must have taken that one off or, you know, it's just like an informal demand uh-huh. by people. But it's the official five demands that they are printing. Okay. Okay. So so, so then the second one was uh, uh, we strong the characterization as a riot. Um, yeah, that was totally, totally flashback on Tiananmen. That was, mm-hmm. um because the students uh, uh, really thought they had been done wrong by the government by calling it a riot when they felt like mm-hmm. they were just doing their citizens' duty, right? And um, okay, so yeah, I I see the 
I see maybe the resistance for the first two demands are probably, you know, just the government, they, it's like the safe face, the, this, the government wants to save face, right, over mm -hmm. this, this debacle. They, they, that's why they suspended it instead of withdrawing it. Um, I mean, Caroline did come on TV and apologize, offer a kind of lukewarm apology saying he mis she misjudged the public opinion to cause this uh, big disruption in Hong Kong, right? But the protesters felt that hasn't gone far enough. Uh, and and, and, the, and the, they were angered by the, the characterization of, of it as a riot. But what happened was right after the extradition bill was withdrawn, right? What happened next? Literally, like within a day, that minority of very radical protesters broke into the legislature, occupied the building, defaced everything inside, replaced the Hong Kong flag with a, with a colonial flag, with Union Jack. I mean, they didn't do themselves any favors, right? I mean, like, because they could have after the government withdraw, uh, suspended the bill, they could have just declared victory, you know, to fight another day, to, to like call it a day, declare victory, we achieve this. But instead, they took to the next level, escalate to the next level, which I, brings me wanting to talk about that editorial, that opinion page on New York Times called the Hong Kong protesters tactic, get the police to hit you. Right. I mean, it was written by a Hong Kong protester and they basically outlined the, the exact tactic they implemented during throughout a couple months of Hong Kong protests. Basically, the idea is, uh, according to him, to escalate aggressive in aggressive nonviolent means. Right. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't know what that means. Aggressive long violent means, but just it just to the point of almost violence and maybe a little bit violence right. <laughs> just to get the police to overreact. And he said, if we can get the police to overreact, we can win a million people to our side. And the, the example he gave was like after the I think June 12th, after the police fired their tear gas and, and, and called the. Uh, call, call that protest a riot, they had the huge, larger protest. At, at one time, it was claimed 2 million people showed up, and but later, I think Reuters did an image analysis uh, on the crowd size. It's more like 250,000. But, you know, it's still a lot of people, mm -hmm. but less than the protester claim. Um, you know, but, but the point is, their strategy, the protester strategy is to escalate, escalate and escalate. And, 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 and that's the part that I find kind of the superficial similarity with Tiananmen is um, like initially what started out as peaceful protest. People get radicalized in the process and, you know, the more radical voices take over, dominate the conversation, and they push for more radical action. And then he kind of takes a momentum of its own and, and, and they stake out these positions that may be hard for the government to, to accept. But instead of come to uh, some kind of negotiation, like to do a give and take sort of compromise, 
they just dug into their heel and and escalate even mm-hmm. further, right? Until their demands are righteous demands are met. I mean, that's that was that's what, what I was thinking when I was when I was watching this unfold. And uh, what, what do you think? I mean, what do you yeah, think I think that? that you know is definitely what I think would happen, even if the governments were to agree to all of these demands. I, there's no guarantee that the protest will go home. There's every possibility that. You know, enough of a small segment of the protesters just keep it up, and then the police respond to that. They think, oh well, you know, they're an isolated element now. All the other protesters go home. They go out and deal with those. Something happens, and now everyone's mad at the police again, and now everyone comes back out again, and then you know you're back to to where you were. So it's um, you know, they they have they are in a position in which the government, even if they did like acquiesce to these demands, and some of them, you know, like you see four and five, I think are, are very bitter pills for the government to swallow, especially four. So I don't, I don't think those have any you know, chance of happening. But four again? What's the, what's the demand number four and five? Establishment of an independent investigation committee into the police actions. And I don't think Carrie Lam or the Hong Kong government will do that. Like, you know, the, the cops are upset as what they see as like a, a lack of support from the government already. Right, and and this would really yeah. send them over the edge. So I don't think that's going to happen. And five is dual universal suffrage, and I assume that's something more than what was proposed in two thousand fourteen. Like I assume they would want, you know, like Beijing has no veto power over like uh, who we choose. Yeah. So I, I assume it goes beyond that, and that's obviously something that's not going to happen either. So, you know, like the demands are already set too high, and even if they were agreed to, there is no guarantee that the protesters go home. You're right. That's uh, that's a very difficult situation. Yeah, I I don't think I don't think there's any chance of uh, demand number five being just met right away because uh, you know that, that involves that that the level of electoral reform will invo- involve uh, you know the change into uh, basic law, the the Hong Kong's mini constitution. I, I believe that requires the consent mm-hmm. of the central government. I mean, I I don't think it's something that carry, it's within Carrie Lam's uh, yeah. authority to to even agree to. I mean, like her or the legislature. I mean, but I think that that's the whole point. The whole point of these demands are is are they're impossible to be met, and so mm-hmm. the protest can continue, right? And um, so I I like to point out a couple of things. Most of the youth who are on the street, right, they are probably feel they're doing the right thing. They're fighting for democracy, fighting for the future of their city, right? Um, Even though, you know, sometimes they come off really self-righteous. But, you know, you have to think about, oftentimes this is called leaderless movement, Right. So it seems like, oh, this is just spontaneous uprising by the people. But you have have to really think about, you know, what does that mean? Right. I I saw a very good uh, tweet by Scientism on Twitter. This guy is very sharp. He he often has some really good uh, uh, insightful tweets. He he saw this um, video put out by Inkstone, which is uh, like a spin off of South China Morning Post that does the kind of the vice-like documentaries, like short clips, right? And they have this clip uh, to purportedly tell you 
how Hong Kong people organize their supplies, right? The protesters organize their supplies. So in the beginning, the the journalists tell you, oh, you know, sometimes people as the pro- protests escalate and and carry on. A lot of the demand for gear get rather expensive, right? There's these uh, gas mask uh, and and the helmets, and sometimes uh, some sometimes it could cost up to over a hundred dollars. Right? How do the protesters meet these financial needs? Uh, and then he proceeds to introduce this, oh, we have this voluntary donation system by anonymous strangers. You know, they drop off their donations at these like uh, 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 collection points all over the city. Uh, and then, you know, we have the very organized volunteers to go collect them and distribute them and stuff. Yeah, it's it sounds very very organized, very civic. But scientism put po- posted that tweet. Do you have that tweet in front of you? Can you read it? And um, well, I don't have it in front of me, but it was basically like you know this is a complete lack of understanding of how logistics works. Like oh, you know, a very nice man left us a big bunch of gas masks here in a safe location. Good thing we got here before the cops found them, right? Like it's you know these things don't just happen by accident yes yes and um and he uh, there's even one more and it's just because uh this is really that's that was a really good tweet because um i previously i was a, a guest on a friend of the show radio warner and so I, I i follow them i i i'm a subscriber and um they had a guest uh elijah magnier who is a reporter who covers this middle east uh, he came to that show to talk about uh, the Syrian war, right? The, the war that was going on in Syria and Iraq. And he specifically talked about logistics. He pointed out these Syrian, uh, so-called Syrian rebels, uh, <laughs> jihadist fighters, basically, you know, there's so much amount of ammunition gets, huge amount of ammunition gets used supply gets used in each of their offensive. He says, you have to ask your question, who is resupplying them, right? How are they able to keep this up? And that is a really, really good question. And, and that, I think this tweet by scientism is equally eye-opening for me. And he said, you know, it's incredible how people are willing to believe that the normal laws of logistics can be magically violated by protests. You know, random strangers spontaneously supply equipment. School kids spontaneously display the tactics of professional activists, leaderless coordination. And and then he goes on to say, um, yeah, after he said, yeah, it's a good job we found them before the police. And then he goes on to say, when the lie is that absurd, you know the truth has got to be especially bad. A lie like that is aimed at ensuring most of the people involved don't even know who is organizing the protest. That implies they wouldn't want to be involved if they knew, right? I mean, I want to point out most of the people, protesters, I think in, in, in a way similar to the student protest testers of 1989, they were uh, maybe idealistic, they were full of uh, revolutionary zeal, right? 
but essentially they're just pawns, right? I mean, I mean, we shouldn't delegitimize their they they are their concerns, right? There are there's some deep underlying discontentment they feel with their lot. I talk about this on my previous uh, interview with Dan Cole, an independent journalist. Um, you know, there, there's, there's there's the Hong Kong youth, the millennials, right? They face the same set of problems that millennials face in the West. You know, a declining economic prospect, rising housing prices. Have uh, they live in a, a society in Hong Kong, especially with a Gini coefficient that's so ridiculous? There's a really sharp divide between the rich and the have-nots, and 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 with a very high concentration of the wealth among the oligarchs, who, by the way, also controls the Hong Kong legislature and the government, right? So they have every right to protest to protest. To, to express their discontent. But, you know, we also have to recognize there are people who seek to um, hijack these sentiments, to use these protests to, to achieve other means. I mean, I, I, would that be a fair characterization? Yeah, so who, who would you say is, is setting up these like gas mask drops then, right? Because like the question that everyone would have after reading those tweets, like, all right, well, who is setting up those logistics then? So, you know, like what, what's your theory there? Well, okay. I think there are various actors involved in Hong Kong, right? And we already talking, talk about there are some tycoons and, and oligarchs who conceivably do not want to see extradition bill getting passed. And we already know that, you know, we, we, in fact, we know about Jimmy Lai, you know, Jimmy Lai, he, we already knew he bankrolled, that was an open secret, he, he bankrolled the 2014 umbrella movement, the Occupy movement. He's a big um, media tycoon who owns Apple Daily, the largest circular, uh, la largest tabloid uh, slash newspapers uh, in circulation in Hong Kong. And he has always have an agenda, mm -hmm. right, against Beijing. And he, uh, and also with Martin Lee, he's very tied with Martin Lee, the leader of the pan-democratic camp in Hong Kong. And they were seen together with uh, the American consulate uh, diplomatic officials. Um, you know, unfortunately, we don't have the leak audio of the meeting, so we don't really know what exactly was talked about. <laughs> but we do know the meeting take place because we have pictures and videos of them, you know, going to the meeting together uh, in a hotel. And 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 I think I talked about earlier that I think people like Joshua Wong and Nathan Law that were kind of the poster child of 2014 Umbrella Movement, they were just more of poster child. <laughs> and, 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 and in 2014, it was Jamie Lai that was pulling string in the back. Mm -hmm. We already know that uh, because there was a leaked audio in 2014 when Jamie Lai was asking, talking to Si Mindu, who was a position figure from Taiwan who led uh, like a million man march against uh, corruption in uh, Chen Shui, President Chen Shui Bian's government in Taiwan, the, the DPP government. Uh, and in the leak audio, uh, Jimmy Lai was was overheard to ask him how to organize. You know, what are the principles of organizing? And um, you know, Si Mindu told him, 
you need to sacrifice. If you are willing to sacrifice, you can win. Uh, you know, then he asked me, though, what does that mean to sacrifice? Like you, you, you need to be willing to go to jail. And <laughs> that way, you know, you have the moral force on your side. And, and, and they discuss some more details, like detailed tactics of how to uh, making it into a movement. And then Jimmy Lai was offered Siminde some very hefty sum of money for writing some, just some opinion piece in, in Apple Daily, right? And, and so this transaction was publicized, widely publicized in the Chinese language media. So we, we knew what happened back in 2014. Um, we do have mm -hmm. solid evidence, uh, like the smoking gun yet for, for this current phase of protest. But I would not be surprised if Jimmy Lai is pulling the strings. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I'm sure he's involved. Um... He's the most obvious candidate, but also like today after like the newspapers had like uh, Li Jiacheng's ads, you know, like he's, I think he's somewhat suspicious too, um, because like the, you had posted the backstory about, you know, the saying that he put like, so it was like, um, yeah, so, you know, Li Jiacheng was the richest man in Hong Kong. He had put, taken ads out in the Hong Kong newspapers. And in most of them, they just say, oh, you should be against violence. But in one particular one, which is a pro-Beijing newspaper, you know, he wrote lines from like a Tang story, right? Yeah, he wrote, a, it's, it's not a poem from Tang Dynasty, but it's a reference to a poem in Tang Dynasty. And, you know, like the idea of that, um, let me try and pull it up because I forgot how it goes. Uh, do you remember it off the top of your head? Oh, the, I, I, it's, it's eight characters. Uh, I have it on my tweet. Actually, tweeted tweeted this out. Yeah, Huang Tai He Kan Zai Jai. So, you know, what's your interpretation of this message? Um, I don't really know because it's so ambiguous. It can be interpreted in so many different ways. To give a little historical background of this poem. Um, so this, this, this. This passage, Huang Tai Zigua He Kan Zai Zai, is a reference to a, a poem, a Tang Dynasty poem wrote by the Tang Dynasty crown prince, who presented the poem as a plea for mercy from his own mother, Wu Zetian, who is like the most powerful woman in Chinese history. Uh, and and the, the background of that is, you know, Wu Zetian was a was an empress of Tang Dynasty at the time, and she well almost absolute power because you know her husband was kind of a sickly man, and, and and leave her to handle all the state affairs. So what she, her she did upon assuming the title of empress, the first act she did was to get rid of the original crown prince, who was born for another woman, right. And later find an excuse to put him to death and, and put her own oldest son on the, uh, installed as a new crown prince. But then, <laughs> for whatever reason, there was a falling out between her and her own son. So this is where history gets a little murky, but the traditional account is she had him poisoned. And, and after he died... She installed her second son, uh, Li. Uh, this is 
uh, yeah, her, her second son, Li Xian, as the crown prince. And this is the crown prince who wrote the poem because at some point she had a falling out with her second son as well. And, and her second son wrote this poem about, uh, about, I guess, gourds or melons. I'm not sure exactly what type of fruit. Mine, right? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what type of fruits are referring. It's either melon or or, or gourds, but it, the, his, the 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 ostensibly the poem is talking about plucking the melons, right, um, from the vine, and and what the 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 poem literally said is the first plucking is good. It's good for the health of the vine. Um, but after the second plucking, after you've taken off the second gourd, now there's not that many gourds left. <laughs> and then you take the third gourd, uh, you know, and then you take the fourth gourd, and then there's no, there's nothing left anymore on the vine, right? So what he was referring to, he was talking about, like, mom, please stop pruning the family tree, right? Like, we are, we come from you, you know, you are the vine, where the gourds growing out of your vine. Why, you, why do you keep on doing this? But unfortunately for him, that didn't stop his mom, because Wu Zetian still had him uh, deprived of his title as crown prince and had, had him find an excuse to have him kill later and replace him with his younger brother, her, her other son, and, and eventually, yeah, Wu Zetian was not happy with all her, all of her sons, so she eventually she just shoved all of them aside and and ascended to the dragon throne herself after her husband passed away and became the only woman emperor in Chinese history. So that was a background, historical background, and and the reference what the the Jason put it's uh, eight characters, Huang Tai Zi Gua. It literally means, you know, the, the gourds, the gourds of the garden. How can you bear to pluck them again, right? Which is a very, very ambiguous. I mean, I mean, it seems pretty obvious to me, to be honest. Like, you know, I know you had left it ambiguous on Twitter. It's so like, oh, you know, like, please give us your interpretation. But I mean, it's basically like saying, hey, you need to, to leave this alone is that is the only message, right? Like you cannot keep on coming in and like taking, right? Because it can't bear any more change, right? And, and you know, what else, what other, what else, what other message could that be to Beijing? He's like, oh, you know, you need to leave Hong Kong alone. Like every time you meddle, you're taking melons from, you know, Hong Kong, or maybe their freedoms or something else like that, right? But basically it's, I think it's pretty clear that it's a message that, you know, like, Beijing needs to stop meddling in Hong Kong or something like that, especially since it was in the. So you are saying that the audience, target audience of the ad, is actually Beijing government. Well, it is. Yeah, it's. It, it basically, you know, people need to stop trying to change Hong Kong. Let Hong Kong be Hong Kong, which is a sentiment I've heard, you know, from a lot of like pro protesters and like media as well. So I mean, I, I that that is my reading of it. I think it's relatively apparent. It's also what even SCMP's interpretation of the lines were. Um, so, you know, a rare point of agreement between us. But, you know, it's it's usage. Every time you see this phrase used elsewhere, it's basically a call to, like, you know, to, to stop, basically. This 
can't bear any more change. You can't take any more from this, right? And in the context of Hong Kong and its relationship to the mainland, you know, what else could it be about? Um, speaking of which, there's so this is a very specific message he put on the front page of Da Gongbao, which is a pro Beijing newspaper. But he put a different message for um, all the other newspapers, and and some people pointed out that um, in the in so the, ostensibly, ostensibly the the message says. Uh, and there's a Chinese character for violence, Bao Li, crossed out in the middle, right? And on the side, mm-hmm. it says, 爱中国, 爱香港, 爱自己, which means love China, love Hong Kong, love yourself. And on the other side, it says, 爱自由, 爱包容, 爱法治, love freedom, love tolerance, love rule of law. Right, and on the bottom it says, "Yi ai zi yi, zi xi nu fen." The you know, for for use love to stop the the anger, right? And then the sign of uh, a, a Hong Kong citizen, Li Kaixin, right? And but somebody pointed out that maybe there's a hidden message in the ads because if you take the last character <laughs> of every sentence <laughs> of every phrase and stream them together now you it actually forms a, a message of its own so it became which means i saw that the too cause and consequences was decided by the state or depend on the state, uh, allow Hong Kong to govern itself. The righteous, the the anger righteous, and the citizens are sincere, right? Which became a lot much more pro protest message than than just anti violence message, which could be aimed at anybody, right? And then. Um, that's like a very widely, uh, actually pretty viral right now on Chinese social media, and and I do see that um, the CGTN host, uh, the Chinese media overseas media um, host CGTN host Liu Xin, who had previously debated uh, Fox News host uh, Trish Reagan, um, he she actually tweeted she was. She was angry, angrily tweeted, says, the, the Kaixin, what do you mean by this ambiguous message? You know, what kind of message are you trying to send? So I, I think maybe the message is not totally lost among the Chinese-speaking audience. So, I mean, I, it, it is somewhat ambiguous, but, um, you know, it's, it's definitely something um, somewhat suspicious in my opinion. But I do think that, like... The, the tycoons in Hong Kong are a much more likely source of funding organization than, like, say, the CIA, right? Like, I'm sure the U.S. is interested in what's going on, but it's just a lot more simple, reasonable, and easy for, for local tycoons to, like, you know, set up these things. It is their city, after all. So I definitely do think, well, because... I mean, because a lot of people in the tweet comments, a lot of people immediately point out the Kaixin is the source of miseries for a lot of the working class. He is. 
And that's why they want, you know, they, they're redirecting all of this anger that people have said, like housing prices at cost of living. And it's all being directed toward Carrie Lam and the Beijing government, right? Like nowhere in the demands is there anything about like housing costs, right? Like nothing, are, the protests aren't even addressing like the real problems that most Hong Kongers face right now. And I think that's, that's a very good result for the tycoons, right? Like, because people are definitely pissed. A lot of the protesters are out there just because they're, you know, they're angry in general with what things are going. CNBC even had an article yesterday saying, actually, you know, it's like, like tycoons that are to blame for Hong Kong's problems. And they know that and they don't want people talking about that. So if people are redirecting their anger at others, you know, at Carrie Lam or at the mainland, then that's good for them. Right. So I see, I see that as a very likely like motivation. And directing at mainland Chinese people, the common average yeah. mainland Chinese people. We saw that really ugly burst of Hong Kong nativism. I mean, this dates back even back to 20, they um, had that really ugly nativist ads. It was a full page ad in the Apple Daily newspaper where they called the uh, mainlanders locust, right? It was a giant poster of with the Hong Kong city of Hong Kong in the backdrop and this giant locust standing on the hill overlooking Hong Kong and mm-hmm. and, and it was a Chinese message says Hong Kongers we had enough you know well, we know you guys uh, did, didn't have democracy so you you come into our city you know we allow you to come to our city but uh, Hong Kongers do you want to subsidize spend um, a million Hong Kong dollars every 18 minutes to have these uh, to have babies born by these uh, 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 they call the the strong fate the, the basically the double illegal uh, mainland uh, parents so so basically at, at the time there were uh, pr- there were apparently some pregnant mainland women going to Hong Kong to deliver uh babies so their babies will have acquired automatically the hong kong residence permit right um i mean it but it, the, the the proportion was blown yep. way out of uh proportion by the media it, it's it's the same right-wing talking point as in the u.s right now about the anchor babies right yeah I think it's a very good comparison there because it's exactly the same rhetoric. You know, they're coming here, they're draining our like social services, right? Like they're a drain on our society. And it's very much like the same type of um, at rhetoric you see in Hong Kong. And, you know, like left uh, people on the left in the U.S. want to tell me that, you know, that's just a, a small portion of the movement. But I, I think these... Yeah, I don't think that's a small portion at all. That's that's very prevalent, uh, the anti-mainland sentiment. I mean, we saw it expressing itself throughout the protest. I mean, like after the ugly incident at the um, at the airport, even one of the reporter for South China Morning Post, a Hong Konger local journalist, he admitted, you know, throughout the protest, maybe because we have been turning a blind eye to this anti-mainland sentiment, you know, allow it to fester, which is true. It was always there. And I just want to read the full uh, English translation of that really ugly Apple Daily Locust ad, right? So let, mm-hmm. I mean, our audience may not be familiar. Because uh, this is a full English translation. Are you willing to let Hong Kong to spend $1 million for every 18 minutes 
to raise double negative children, whom father and mother are both mainlanders? Hong Kongers, we have tolerated enough. We understand that you are the victims of the tainted milk. This, they're addressing the mainlanders right now. Um, Therefore, we tolerate you to buy and stock infant formulas. We understand that you don't have freedom. Therefore, we let you come to Hong Kong to walk freely. We understand that your education is behind times. Therefore, we let you share our educational resource. Now they're talking about the mainland students coming to Hong Kong universities, right? We understand that you don't know how to read traditional Chinese characters. So we, therefore, we use simplified characters below. Please respect Hong Kong local culture. If it were not for Hong Kong, you were all doomed. We strongly request the government to amend Article 24 of the Basic Law. Stop mainland double negative pregnant women whose husbands are also mainlanders from invading Hong Kong indefinitely. And, and on this poster, visually, they have this huge giant locust overlooking Hong Kong, looking as if to devouring it, right? I mean, I mean, this 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 was an ad that was crowdfunded by these Hong Kong nativists, nativists, and they took out a full page ad on on Apple Daily, the the tabloid newspaper owned by Jimmy Lai, and and man, I mean, let me tell you that that sentiment was very much alive in this current protest as well because he saw the airport, right? Like the signs that No, 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 no. Even before the airport, they uh, besieged the central government liaison office in Hong Kong. So this was uh, basically the Xinhua in the British colonial days, that was a Xinhua news agency in Hong Kong, which functioned as like a like a unofficial Chinese mm -hmm. consulate slash embassy in Hong Kong, right? So after the handover, they rebranded the you know they, they didn't need the cover of Xinhua news agency anymore. They just rebranded the central government Hong Kong liaison office. Sometimes people call it the China liaison office in Hong Kong, and. These protesters went besiege the office. They splashed paint and eggs on the Chinese national emblem that was hanging uh, on top. But they did not stop there. They painted the word "zna." Zna. Zna is originally a you know like a Japanese word for China. In Japanese, it's pronounced "shina," right? And and originally it was a neutral term for China. But during World War II, right, given the history, um, during the Japanese occupation of China in the Sino-Japanese War, this word become very derogatory, acquire very derogatory meaning for the local Chinese, right? And in fact, uh, after the war, after the war was over, the, the new Japanese government, they, re they banned the use of word China. Uh, in kanji, in Chinese character, in all Japanese official documents. So in China, in, in Japan nowadays, in official documents, they will never use Shina, the, the, the two Chinese character, uh, in official document. But that term was being adopted by these Hong Kong nativists, right? They so much wanted to define them apart from mainland Chinese. They just so wanted to demonstrate that they're not Chinese. 
that they use this World War II racial slur by Japanese to describe the Chinese. They use that term to describe mainland Chinese. Yeah. And they painted that racial slur on the building of China liaison office in Hong Kong. This was tweeted out by one of the student protest leaders on his tweet. He said, we are painting the Chinese, he put on quotes, he said, we put on, we are painting quote, China liaison office right now. And, and this closest equivalent translation of Xina into English is chink, right? And these guys, they are calling the mainland Chinese chink. And they painted that on the China liaison office. And, and when I posted all this on tweet, freaking bunch of like uh, Westerners and also the pro protesters said, oh, you know, what's wrong? What's, what's up with that? That's just the expression of democracy. Democracy <laughs> means to have, uh, literally they said that. They said democracy means to have bad words being used. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, yeah, there was, that, there was that one random Hong Kong guy. I was like, oh, I've been called worse, you know? And it's just, it's ridiculous. They, people made up a lot of excuses for that. And then, you know, here, uh, you know, leftists in America, they, they might just dismiss it as like, you know, a small element. But look, if there are bad elements in your protests, you need to root them out. You need to isolate them. You need to get rid of them. If you just you know, accept them as your leaders are still part of your movement, then yes, like yeah. you're, you approve of that. In the Western context, in the U.S. American context, imagine, you know, your protest leader use the N-word, right? If you're a progressive organization uh, or supposedly a progressive uh, movement, you know, openly using N-word everywhere, right? And, and mm-hmm. you make excuse that, you make excuse for that, that's bullshit. Right? I mean, how can you even claim to be progressive? Talking about the Tea Party, it's like, oh, you know, it's only a few people waving the Confederate flags. And largely, it's a, a good movement. A lot of good people, you know. There's just, just a couple of bad eggs there. Yeah. It's, it's the same type of thing. Like, if, yeah. if you don't want them in your movement, you can kick them out, right? Yeah. You need to own your movement and, and isolate them. But no, these, these are leaders, too. Like, the yeah. people who are attacking the office and they're still around so and and on top of that i mean a lot of the western journalists act surprised what happened at the airport but that actually i think what happened at the airport was going to happen sooner or later given this kind of persistent virulent nativism anti-mainlander nativism it was just a matter of time when it's gonna get ugly um and and, and it did right i mean yeah i mean people I, every every time I call these out, I get called a freaking uh, CCP apologist, a regime apologist. I mean, I'm somehow somehow suppressing Hong Kongers' freedom. <laughs> so one very small thing, though, um, it was never a neutral term. I, I do want to point that out. They used it in place of Chugoku because they don't want to, you know, say like, oh, China is is in the middle, right? So they specifically chose that to avoid using the historical Chugoku uh, and, you know, like to reduce China's place in like their order. And, and that was part of like, you know, basically Japan's reconception of itself. So, I, you know, I, I don't want to call it neutral. It was already loaded from the start, but, you know, as we got into World War II, obviously it began to take on like an even more like uh, terrible dimension. Well, I, I just a little bit historical background. So in the ancient Buddhist text, right, 
you know, Shina is used in, in Tang Dynasty. That that term sometimes is used right. even by the Chinese to refer their country to yeah to Sina, right? And but but when that term, you know, with Buddhism, that term get incorporated into Japanese vocabulary, right? The term was largely neutral until the Meiji Restoration, mm-hmm. right? When the Meiji Restoration happened, was you know China, Japan finally opened up itself and fully embraced Westernization and 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 start to uh, industrialize itself uh, to become a world power, and then you know from that point on, it's yes, they they specifically do not want to call. China, Zongguo, the, the term that most Chinese themselves refer to their country, they call it Qingguo, mm-hmm. right? They call it the, the, <laughs> the Qingguo, or, or, or when not after the Qing Dynasty fell, right? Uh, in fact, the Republic of China, the Republican government asked Japan to call it as how there's a new new term now, the new term, the Zhonghua mm-hmm. people, right? The, the, but, but no, but J- Japan refused to do that. They, they call it the 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 Shina Republic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yes, you are right. But but there's there's a point. Is the point is um, from the, the first Sino-Japanese War of eighteen ninety four in modern usage. You know, it's very clear like what they mean. Yes. Yes, in the modern so, usage. Yes. And, yeah, I, you know, given how deep seated a lot of this is, um, you know, and we can speculate like how it got there, but because it's there, it's very difficult for me to see like how this is going to be resolved in like a good manner. Like the the best case scenario that I can see really is that just you know it just kind of dies out. Like you know, people get more um, disillusioned with the movement and, as they you know, keep on doing things like at what happened at the airport and, you know, the most radical people try to keep escalating. And then it just more or less like goes away because I don't see the government agreeing to these demands. And then that's a best case scenario, but that yeah. still leaves, you know, a lot of fault lines in Hong Kong society. Like nothing is really resolved then, yeah. right? Yes. And, and and one of the things I, I want to point out is that um, the you know when I talk about when they started the disruption campaign, I'm basic. I'm purely from a tactical point of view, right? I I posted on Twitter like, how is this gonna win you support when you disrupt normal working class people from getting to the train? You know they were doing things like holding up the train door, do not let the train door close, so people cannot mm-hmm. getting on the cannot get to where they they want to go using the train, right? They totally stopped the metro system. And people had to take buses. I mean, in Hong Kong, like the the metro system is so central, right? And it's and they, they set up roadblocks to block traffic, right? They, they call it a general strike. And I questioned the tactic, and people on Twitter were saying, "Well, what that that, that is a point. That is a point. The point was disruption, right?" And I, I was thinking, I'm like, I think Mao said, I don't don't quote me, but I think Mao said that politics. Is about you know you want to make people the, the people that that support you more and more and and deprive your enemies of the popular sport you know make them less and less right but what I see is this disruption tactic they're doing I mean the point of general strike is you get the workers together have agreement 
to go on strike. But what this general strike turned into is these, these students who are on summer vacation, right? A lot of time on their hands. They are obstructing traffic. They're, they're stopping the train. They're, they're shutting down the airport and they're inconvenience average people. And, and they're, they're not winning support. They're alienating a, a population who could be their potential supporters, who, who may even be their supporters. All these people that, um, you know, that could be their support base. So, so yes, I see the, this movement is just gonna, um, you know, kind of burn itself out, you know, more and more people are going to get alienated. And, and, and in the beginning of this disruption campaign, right, I think there's some poll supposedly by Hong Kong media, which is largely anti mainland anyway. And that shows 46% supports the police and the 53% supports the protesters, right? Which show which has given a slight edge to the uh, pro-protest side, but it shows a pretty much even divide down in the middle. The Hong Kong society is divided, right? What th they have done through this disruption campaign is making people's life difficult. Is actually, you know, actually, sh I see it shifts people to the other side. They're 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 going to make people disillusioned. You know, getting tired of the movement, and I think it eventually it will just peter out. I, I think that's uh, the calculation of Carrie Lam and the Hong Kong Police Department, mm -hmm. and and uh, and you know, people right now the Twitter has been going crazy last couple of days, making a big deal about uh, Chinese moving military force across the border, right? And, and is this actually mm -hmm. started with? state media uh, with Global Times <laughs> first pointing, printing videos, uh, posting videos of the Chinese People's Arms Police in making a large gathering show of force in Shenzhen across the border from Hong Kong. And then that, that video was quickly picked up by Xinhua and People's Daily, um, CGTN, you know, all the Chinese state media start posting this. And then next day you have CNN, Reuters, everybody's like, mm -hmm. oh my God, China is going to pull it like Tiananmen 2.0. You know, what are we going to do? Please, Mr. President Trump, you need to do something. We need to do something about Hong Kong. I mean, literally, this is what's going on in Twitter right now. And I'm like, you guys are so stupid. I mean, uh, I don't think this is going to be a Tiananmen 2.0. Um, the, the, I think one of the main purpose of the China making the strong show of force across the border from Hong Kong. Um, maybe it's to send a message to the Hong Kong protesters, but I think its main purpose is for domestic consumption because the mainland Chinese, average mainland Chinese citizens are so angry right now after what happened at the airport, where they witnessed a beating uh, and torture of the Chinese journalists uh, and also another guy who was supposedly a, a, a cop. And people are actually howling for vengeance. You know, people are baying out, baying for blood. They want PLA to move into Hong Kong and crush those rioters. I mean, I mean, I, mm -hmm. I the, the, you know, people, is there some stupid Western reporter who says, oh, you know, maybe this, uh, this con demo democracy contagion will spill over to China. Like, no, you're stupid because right now the, the mainland Chinese are actually more united by what happened in Hong Kong, because specifically they saw it as an attack on their identity. They were being attacked because they're mainland Chinese. 
this is not going to make them sympathize with the Hong Kong protesters. And right, uh, you know, and and Kerry Lam also had a, a press conference a couple of days ago. The, the Western reporter keep on asking her, "Are you going to agree to those demands, protesters' demands? You know, withdraw completely, withdraw the bill. You know, do you have the authority to withdraw the bill?" And all she said was, "Beijing government expressed their full confidence in me and the Hong Kong police to handle the situation." So I think that's a very clear signal. That's, that's she, what she's actually saying is Beijing mm-hmm. will not in, in, intervene in, uh, directly in the immediate future. It's left to the full discretion of the Hong Kong government and the Hong Kong Police Department to handle the protest. At least in the near term, you know, maybe there will be another co- press conference later that will change. But as far as the latest information we know is. There's not going to be any PLA moving into Hong Kong because there's already PLA in Hong Kong. You know, the PLA has been in Hong Kong since 1990, 1997, right? There currently are 7,000 PLA soldiers deployed to the Hong Kong garrison, right? And and they they also practice anti-riot drills. Like they they if the Hong Kong government because um, gov- right now under Hong Kong's constitution. You know, Hong Kong government have to officially request the central government to intervene to deploy its PLA, right? And only that, then, then you know, the PLA in Hong Kong will get activated. But right now, there's not going to be PLA on the streets. Not going to be Tiananmen Square 2.0. I'm sorry, Western journalists, all the, all you fuckers who are you know salivating at another possible. Yeah, it really seems like they just, they can't wait for it to happen just so, you know, they can write all that they wanted to write about, you know, like really let the xenophobia out. But it's, I saw a couple of good tweets on this too. And, you know, the the reason that they they dealt with the protests in 1989 is because, you know, they, they were concerned that, hey, this is spilling over into other mainland cities, mm-hmm. right? Like there are protests going on yep. everywhere. But here it's making everyone in the mainland more united, yeah. right? You know, like everyone is like, hey, we're fully behind the government here. So that's that's a good thing. Like, And, and it's fine to let that keep on going for another few months. Yeah. And there's just too much fallout from sending yeah. in like PLA from the mainland to, to boost yeah. the parents. And they were like, it's also an admission that, hey, since 97, we've failed to win over like the Hong Kong people too, right? So there's, there's a lot of bad impacts to that, that, there's no real, no real point, no real gain in doing it, right? Yeah. Like just. Um, I also saw another funny thing about the, uh, you know, the videos you mentioned, and someone pointed out that you know, right now some White House aide is showing Trump these videos, and Trump is looking at these videos of the PLA in Shenzhen and thinking that like the CIA got him this footage, you know, from <laughs> their spy Global Times or something. <laughs> yeah, people are treating this like spy footage when you know it literally comes from the state media. Yeah, he, he tweeted. I think he says from our intelligence. You know, our intelligence uh, tells me. Uh, you know, China is is gathering a large force. <laughs> intelligence, just freaking global Times video. I mean, come on. Anyway, yeah, it's 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 pretty ridiculous. I mean the. The, the amount of knowledge about China in the West is like negative, right? I mean, there have been so mm-hmm. many years. People have been subject to years of propaganda. Like now, the I say the knowledge is not zero; it's negative, you know, because there's so many misconceptions. 
And that's what I hope uh, by doing this podcast is to readdress some of these issues. Yeah. And so I know, okay, so I, I think I want to end with like, you know, well, what's your prediction there? Like how long, how much longer does this go on? Um, I think it probably maybe the movement might drag on for still a little bit just because of the inertia and the momentum. And, you know, today I already saw footage of, uh, of a, a clash uh, of mainland and Hong Kong students in, in Australia. There were some like uh, support Hong Kong protests in Australia and then some mainland Chinese people, sh uh, students showed up, they were waving Chinese flags and singing the Chinese national anthems. And then uh, there was a Hong Kong protester or a, Hong a supporter of the Hong Kong protest who tried to drag the, I saw the video, he tried to drag the, uh, main, the Chinese PRC flag out of this mainland Chinese student's hands. And then it, it resulted in a big altercation. Um, I mean, the emotions are high. I think it's gonna, this is gonna continue. Um, uh, the sentiment is not gonna go away, but the, the movement, I think it reached a point where, uh, I mean, look, Right now, the kids are out of school, so we're in the middle of August, right? <laughs> it's only a couple of weeks before the, the kids have to start school again. So I think that, that will be the end. And Nathan is already, you know, in, in the U.S. prepping for his semester at Yale, right? So, you know. Yes, Nathan Law. This is the most amazing thing. The, the Nathan Law, one of the, the, the student leaders who was boosted by all these U.S. government officials by giving them the, the forum. So they had a magnified presence on social media. And him and Joshua Wong often use their magnified social media presence to, to you know, egg on the protesters. And so he, this gets this, right? He left, uh, the, he, he first sent out a message uh, urging the Hong Kong protesters to fight on, to persevere. He said, we just need to hold on. We just need to keep on fighting. Next thing you know, he boarded a flight to United States during the airport blockade. He got on the plane during the airport sitting, the blockade. And then now he is already in United States attending classes in Yale. Right. And so, so there's a lot of, uh, I saw a lot of um, social media posting on Twitter, both on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, there are people who are disappointed in him, a lot of the Hong Kong protesters, like, how can you do this? Right. How can you tell us to fight on and you, you leave? And then there's some, a lot of sarcastic posts by, <laughs> by the, the pro police side say, ah, he went. <laughs> which means uh, you know he's he's going to school you're going to jail but literally means he's going to study but you're gonna be bending over to pick up the soap <laughs> yeah it's um i've seen a couple of things on that too but yeah it's you know it's worked out very well for him um you yes. know i don't think we'll be able to say the same for for a lot of the other people still left in Hong Kong, at least yeah. uh, among the protesters. Um, yeah. So yeah, is there anything else you wanted to cover? I think I mainly yeah. got through what I wanted to ask you. But if you have any closing thoughts, I mean, it's I I'm shocked 
to see this, uh, you know, it come to this far, it come to this point. I mean, like, right, and, and especially with this, uh, uh, and then even the overseas Chinese community right now is quite divided. Um, I see mm-hmm. that the pro uh, protest side and the anti protest side, and um, I wish I just wish I think people should stop for a second and just think who benefits from a Hong Kong that's destabilized, right? It's definitely not in China's interest to destabilize Hong Kong. In fact, the China very much want to see the status quo being kept and, and business going on as usual. Of course, that may not be, you know, for the best interest of the Hong Kong people either because, you know, they're being jacked economically with the working class people. But you know, uh, destabilize Hong Kong overall is to the benefit of no one, right? And and this is goes back to what we talk about about the our our concluding thoughts about the Tiananmen Square protest, right? You know, democracy is not just about yelling slogans or democracy and freedom. Sometimes democracy means negotiation and compromise. It's it, democracy doesn't mean majority rule. You know, it's not mob rule. It's also about taking into account of everybody's interest, right? So, you know, like you may not get everything you want, right? But you get some some piece of it, and then the, the other party get part of you know what they want. Some so everybody can sit down together, have like a civilized functioning society and i think that's the end goal the end goal really is everybody just want better lives right and we also want people in hong kong have better lives right right? you know at the same time it's easy sometimes for us to talk about it from the sideline as i also talk about in our tamen episode which i highly recommend people to listen to if you haven't is when you're in that kind of mass movement you do get caught up in the moment there is like there's a lot of energy Right when you, you are surrounded by people, it's, there's like a mass psychology that you know you get your your views get reinforced by all these people around you. So you you live in that kind of bubble, right? Like like you believe you're right. You are in a revolution. You everything is worth it, right? And 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 I understand that, but I just hope like people can sit back a little bit. You know, think about you know what is really their goal? What is what really wanted to achieve? Yeah, definitely agreed with you on that. You know, this, this things can calm down a little bit, you know, people can go back to their normal lives. And um, I do want to go on record and saying, I, I, I don't think there's any reason to oppose universal suffrage for Hong Kong. In fact, I think I, on record, say I support universal suffrage in Hong Kong. Right. I understand why mainland Chinese government is, uh, you know, could be suspicious about uh, expanding the election right, especially when all the protesters right now, you know, refuse to identify themselves as Chinese and refuse to some, some of them even, you know, refuse to acknowledge Chinese sovereignty. Right. Because that that's a big uh, red line issue for China, which make it even harder to push a peaceful evolution of democracy in Hong Kong, which is very sad because really the Hong Kong's future lies with integration with mainland.
right? Because you know Hong Kong is not in the middle of the Pacific. You're right on the border with with China. The reason China, Hong Kong was successful in the past because it was the only window, or you know, for China to do business with the outside world, right? And 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 and. And right now, as China itself is developing economically, at least the economic integration with China, there's only the plus, right? And the people got to this like really irrational anti-mainland uh, mindset. Now they reject everything, everything with mainland they reject. Even even like the high-speed train that connect Hong Kong to 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 China uh, to mainland gets gets objected to. I mean, it's it's so ridiculous. Like like politically, you know. Hong Kongers have every right to peacefully demand expansion of their democratic rights. I, I want to be clear on that. But, but, right? I mean, you know, people need to be rational about this. They need to realize that the United States is not going to come and help you, right? I mean, <laughs> the Seventh Fleet is not going to sail into the Hong Kong Harbor, right? The, Future Hong Kong's future still lays with China, and and it's best to everybody sit down to have a peaceful negotiation and to reach some sort of compromise to get at least some of your demands met. Now you may not have all your demands met, but but get some of the demands met. That's that's why I wish they just declare victory when they first had the tradition bill withdrawn. But you know apparently that's not the interest. Right. Of like that was already a pretty big concession, but yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I mean, but there's so many forces involving Hong Kong right now. I mean, like Hong Kong was just basically a den for intelligence agency from all across the world during the Cold War period. I mean, it was kind of hold over from that. I mean, there's 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 different interests. There's business interests, and there's like you know, United States in the midst of waging a like Cold War 2.0 with China right now. Holy stupid, mm-hmm. and and yeah, I just I, I I wish for the best for the people of of, of Hong Kong. I, I hope they can really see what's in their best interest. That that is my concluding thought. Definitely agreed with you there. Well, um, you know, thank you so much for having me on. Um, you know, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Um, you know, and I, I feel like I learned quite a bit too as well. Thank you for being excellent host as always. And let's do this again sometime. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Until next time. Uh, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, see you. Bye-bye. Oh, you